You are listening to Film Mike's Radio. This is Film Mike's Radio. Film Mike's Radio. Film Mike's Radio. Film Mike's Radio. Well, hey everybody, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Mike's Radio. It's uh, Friday, October the 9th, 2020. This is episode number 638 of the podcast. We bring back my good friend, the editor of so many independent films. And a regular on this podcast, my friend Michael Taylor, will be coming up in just a little bit. But first, I wanted to bring on Philippe Jan Rimja, who is the one of the producers uh, a couple of years back when Netflix finally was able to finance and finish uh, Orson Welles' movie, The Other Side of the Wind. He was part of that core team, which included Frank Marshall and Peter Bogdanovich, and, and, and it, Philippe was able to help produce that finalization, The Other Side of the Wind. And as byproducts, there was uh, Morgan Neville's uh, documentary, The Love Me When I'm Dead, as well as the, the, uh, the Making Of, which is on Netflix, and also this upcoming documentary, which just had its screenings at the New York Film Festival, called Hopper Wells, which is a conversation between Orson and Dennis Hopper, shot right before production of The Other Side of the Wind, I believe, and also as Dennis Hopper, who played a small, very small role in The Other Side of the Wind, was about to make his follow-up directed film after Easy Rider called The Last uh, Movie. And the two sat down and had this conversation Orson was shooting it, so we don't really see him. We hear him through the whole conversation about philosophy and film and acting and life and politics. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible film. And you just look at Dennis Hopper, essentially, through the entire conversation. And we will let you know where you can see Hopper Wells. But I wanted to bring on Philippe way back when The Other Side of the Wind was was about to premiere on Netflix, and I was talking to some of the other folks from the, from the film, and, and I, I'm glad to finally have this opportunity. So we'll first here go into my conversation with Philippe, who is born in Poland. He's produced or directed a number of films, including, uh, as I mentioned, The Other Side of the Wind, Mosquito State, Hopper Wells Now, um, and here it is. This is a lovely man, my conversation with uh, Philippe here on Filmwax Radio. Were you more intolerant of, uh, did you have more kinds of movies you were against when you were a kid than you are now? I am. I'm I'm, I'm getting to like more kinds of movies. Well, it's so difficult to make movies that, uh, you know, it's very easy not never to have made a movie and to hate all movies except for a very few. But once you've made a movie, realize how much work is involved. I think almost anybody who gets any kind of movie at all made is like, you know, really uh, way ahead. <laughs> it's, it's so hard. Well, it's, you know, the well, editing, the work. editing gets to be. But don't you think in some ways it's awfully easy? 
I love the creating the idea. I love the shooting it. I love the casting of it. I love the doing, you know. But when it gets down to the editing of it, it becomes like having a child and, and well, suddenly cutting its arms off and putting its eyes out. And um, Because you miss the good things that go? Yeah. Yeah. But it, I don't and also it. because it's so personal. I mean, it just, it gets, um, it gets heavy. I don't know, it seems to me that, that you, you, can, uh, you can only make a movie by taking out all kinds of beloved things, otherwise it doesn't have any shape. Oh, there's it, no question. Yeah, yeah. Isn't, isn't all movie making, uh, imagining it and realizing it and all that, a sort of happy social event and the, and the really creative job is the dirtiest one. It's in an empty, dark room. Uh, I Is think. That what you mean by hard work? No, I think the movies the movies are made uh, on the set, but they're later made, remade in in the in the editing room. I mean, the editing is very important. There's no question about it. But um, I think there's a certain magic to shooting it that uh, that people have or they don't have. And, uh, but the shaping of it becomes the really difficult part. Even after you get the picture up, I mean, to then shape it into that piece of film that you're going to put out is uh, that's a uh, little magic too. I know. Yeah, well, it's it's the real uh, it's the real work. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Do you shoot an awful lot? For Easy Rider, I had 35 hours, and for the last movie, I have 40 hours of film. Yeah, that's that's a lot to get through. Yeah, and a lot of really the things that are really you know like beautiful landscape, which just don't make the story go on, you know, and uh, yet I hate to give them up, you know. I'm lucky. When I go in a cutting room, I, uh, I go in as the enemy of the film I made. I hardly wait to take out the beautiful shots, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I've been wanting to get you actually on since I started uh, pursuing the team behind The Other Side of the Wind a couple years back, uh, more than a couple actually. Uh, probably closer to five years ago, when I first started seeing um, uh, press coming together, that Netflix had 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 purchased the uh, or was doing you know producing it, the the final mm -hmm. edit, and I saw your name always associated with that. So I forget who I was talking to or emailing with early on, but uh, I know that that that. Well, so eventually, I just got Josh Carp on a bunch of times, who's even before that. Uh, and then I got on uh, Peter Bogdanovich, mm -hmm. uh, Frank uh, uh, Marshall. Mar uh, no, not Frank Marshall. I, I've been. I tried. <laughs> not for like mm -hmm. This is a great day because I've got Philip on here, and that's what I was trying to get at mostly. Orson Welles is not returning my phone calls, but I'm, 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 I don't. He's not available he's these days. Okay. I thought I thought it was in his. He stipulated even after he died, he would still be available to promote his films. But apparently, I'm wrong. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, how you got involved with the with Orson Welles. This uh, uh, we're we're primarily here to talk about the latest project, which is called Hopper Wells, which he sh well, I guess Wells shot with Dennis Hopper around the time of The Other Side of the Wind, and right as Hopper was getting ready to shoot, or maybe was already in production for the last movie. I mean, it's Hopper was at, the, at that 
point, um, kind of deep into the edit on last movie. Okay, so you're and right. Wells and Wells was at the very beginning of shooting Other Side of the Wind. Um, yeah. He started in August of '70. This this interview or conversation or however you want to classify it uh, was November of '70. So very early on, and at, at this point, uh, Wells had shot some of the film within the film, and then he had shot some stuff with uh, Bogdanovich at that point playing the cineast, um, not the young hotshot filmmaker, um, and then some stuff with Joe McBride, um, really as the character that Joe continued to be, just uh, slowly, you know, at that point, he was a younger Joe McBride, would then eventually become a slightly older Joe McBride seven years later, once they finally finished. Um, So that's where each of them was. In terms of how I came into this, Wells universe. Um, it was about 11 years ago and, and really it's just kind of you know, a series of coincidences. Um, I was in Cannes and um, somebody told me that the rights were available, which obviously, you know, it's uh, I didn't know about the project. I had read about it in a story that appeared in Vanity Fair, um, which then was a collection of, of, of stories or really of pieces on films with very strange backgrounds, um, troubled productions. And it was, a, the piece was on Ambersons and at the very end, there was a mention of Other Side of the Wind. So I had some prior knowledge um, when I took this meeting in Cannes and you know, it resulted in an introduction to Oya Kodar and being sent the script. And that started me on the journey. And I, the more I looked into it, the more I became fascinated by it. And then once you start investing, you know, at this point, when you start investing years in it, you just kind of want to see it through. Um, and so, and then, you know, my approach was a little bit different than anybody else. I mean, obviously, I met everybody who had been involved and tried and failed. Um, but my approach was to really tackle it from the French side, um, knowing that that's where Orson tried and failed. And, and that's where the negative was stored and trying to figure out what that court order was and, and, and what would be the best way to lift it. How much certainty did you have, again, referring just to the other side of the wind, just for my mm-hmm. or confidence is the better word. How much confidence did you happen? Uh, did you have that you would be able to untangle the the legal morass that the film was under, and the and then you know figuring out the financial side? I mean, did the, uh, yeah? How did you process all that? I mean, I, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to do the whole thing. I knew that by the second or third year, I'd at least have a seat at the table. So, you know, that nobody could finish it without my involvement so that it would be some type of return on my, at that point, you know, it, it, was, the, it was mostly an investment of time. At that point, I didn't really approach it with a lot of capital, uh, not at that stage. Um, and then that part came a little bit later where I figured like, okay, I had a controlling interest and that anybody else coming in um, would ultimately have to do it the way that I wanted to do it. And, and where in terms, of, in terms of financing it, it was tricky because uh, at that point I reached out to Frank and, and Frank and I teamed up. At, at that point I had the, all the, the French rights over the rights to the negative. And so I felt like, you know, we had enough together and then, um, then Frank and I jointly made the next few approaches. Um, and then I believe I was in Toronto and, and we really, Frank and I 
met with all the studios. Um, there was interest but when they figured out what the cost of it was. Um, obviously, it was, it was very top heavy with rights. And when they figured out what the cost was, you know, distributors started to lose interest. So they would lowball us. Um, and, and, I, and I had something put together, um, which was, you know, through sales and a domestic distributor. And it was still very piecemealed. But uh, well, we had something to move forward with. Um, and that's when I think I was in Toronto and I had met with Netflix twice. And I was in Toronto that, you know, basically I met with them and I said, I have this whole piecemeal distribution, um, you know, this structure. And if you guys are really serious about this, I'm going to need something within the next 48 hours. And, and at that point it was, it was the three films. Yeah. That was the idea of it. It was going to be other side of the wind. I love you when I'm dead uh, before it had a title and then final cut for Orson. And so Netflix said, yeah, we want all three. And, and it was exactly what I asked for is what they, you know, was the ultimate budget for the, you know, for all three. Uh, other side of the way, the let me when I'm dead and, and, and the Hopper Wells. No. And final cut for Orson, which was the behind the scenes piece that, uh, Ryan Suffer and directed, oh, and um, that, that Frank, uh, so Frank's production company really took the lead on it. Um, cause he has a documentary division at Kennedy Marshall. Um, and so we had uh, Ryan Suffern uh, direct that piece. And that was just the, you know, the behind the scenes of, of us finishing Other Side of the Wind. Oh, and I that see. Was part of a, that was oh. a part of a three-picture delivery uh, to Netflix. Oh, I was unfamiliar with that last part. Uh, I'm ashamed, deeply ashamed to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it turned out really well. It's a wonderful little Where, piece. Is that on Netflix? It's on Netflix, um, oh, but it's it's under it's under trailers and more of Other Side of the Wind. Gotcha. So it's not its own separate title. Um, I think what Netflix wanted to do is almost treat it like you would on a Blu-ray, like a supplemental piece, sure. um, which wouldn't necessarily compete for space with Morgan's documentary. So there wouldn't be confusion that there are suddenly two documentaries. So this was more of a this was a featurette, is what we called it internally. I see, right. It was for marketing and delineation and all that, I understand. Um, makes a lot of sense. But good, another treat to, to uh, I, I, I missed that one completely. But, uh, and then, um, so when did you, where does the Hopper Wells documentary, and this is uh, Orson shooting Wells, they're sitting together and having a very long conversation. Um, and this is, feels like as close to just sort of um, a, I mean, if it's edited, which I, I know it's, I know it's very edited, but I mean, it doesn't feel like it's edited for anything, but just in, in fact, to improve continuity almost and to improve, to make improvements, not to take away. So, you know, it's a very fluid conversation that really holds together. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a kind of essential for anybody who is interested in these guys and at this time period. Uh, so why don't you take me through a little bit of that, um, when you found out that this thing existed or did you know? And well, we knew it, you knew it existed. Um, we just, we also knew that it didn't fit into the other side of the wind. Um, it didn't fit. You know, it's the you know, it were five hours of material or four hours and 48 minutes between the okay. two cameras. So, you're talking about a you know, slightly under two and a half hour yield between the two cameras. And it just, you know, once we started editing it, we just felt like this was its own thing. And 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 Bob put it together 
um, you know, put whatever 13 roles, however many roles there are, just put it together, you know, kind of from slate to run out. Um, and and it, he watched it, and I think he watched it first um, in whole, and he came away really fascinated by it. I watched it as well. Um, at that point, you know, it's if something didn't fit into the other side of the wind, then the, the first thing I did was pick up the phone and call Morgan and say, hey, I have something which is a curio, you know, this might be of interest to you for the love me when I'm dead. Because really the, the, the two, the, both editorial teams were working in parallel, but they were siloed. Uh, Morgan didn't want his editorial team to see other side of the wind. Um, and obviously, you know, with Bob Murawski, I mean, he wasn't going over to their side to see what they were doing on the dock because he was just focused on the feature. Um, so, and, and Morgan took a look at it. It didn't fit the narrative, uh, what he was shaping with the love me when I'm dead. So this just felt like it's its own separate thing. And I watched it and, you know, it's, I just thought, okay, this is fascinating. It's, it's a wonderful conversation. Um, and I set it aside mm-hmm. and I didn't get back to it until a year and a half later. I mean, I came out of that whole process with a whole lot of wealth fatigue um, because at that point it was nine years. Wow. Um, I was prepping one production and then you know i was actually in, in a production and prepping another one so i had two narrative features that were coming right on the heels of, of finishing uh, other side of the wind so it took me about a year and a half to get back to it and uh a, a friend of mine nick ebeling who uh who directed nick, along for the yeah. ride nick's a, nick's, um, a nick's a friend too more okay it, wonderful yeah, yeah. his his um, his recent so, so I was I was at lunch with Nick in LA and he asked me how how is the how much do you have what's it like and so I started talking and or describing the material to Nick very enthusiastically um, you know just everything that I remembered what the conversation was about uh, how much Hopper revealed about last movie um, and just the things that's that stuck with me which was you know more the the, the beginning half of the film. Um, more about their conversation, uh, about filmmakers they admired, and about the craft of filmmaking. And so I, you know, so at Nick's urging, he said, well, take a look at it, you know, maybe send me something. Uh, And so that was really the first kind of little seed where I I went back, I I asked Netflix because we had all that stuff backed up. um, And I went back and I watched the whole thing. And suddenly I was struck by the second part of the film because suddenly you know it's the the film was the same but we had changed and the times we were living in had changed so suddenly the stuff that i remembered the 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 stuff about filmmaking you know just it was still there but suddenly all the political stuff they were talking about um just felt so timely and so powerful Mm. and i i just figured okay i think i think there's something here and enough time had gone by where I had a new perspective on the Wells universe. And I felt like, let me see if this could be a standalone piece, if there's something in it. And, and, then, um, and then Nick and I had a conversation with, um, with one of the programmers in Venice, who's also a mutual friend of ours. And she asked to see, and she basically said, you know, I heard from Nick that you have this Hopper stuff, you know, could I see something? And, and, you know, she, I got on the phone with her and she said, you absolutely have to finish this. It's uh, it's an important historical document. We'd love to have it for the festival. Um, can you get it finished in time? And so the next step was calling up Bob Murawski and saying, you know, are you ready to take on another Wells project? And, 
and and he remembered the material much better than I did. Um, so he said absolutely, as if he was just waiting for that phone call this whole time. So uh, yeah, he said, you know, let's let's get into it. Yeah, well, uh, Wells has another also directorial credit in his IMDb. <laughs> Each has a result. Um, another finished film, which is always a nice plus for that. Um, you know what, what? What? What kept when as I was watching it, and I, I can't wait to rewatch it actually a second time. But um, what what struck me was, and I've read his conversations with Peter Bogdanovich. You know, those are published. Uh, there's conversations with Henry Yaglum or Jaglum. Those are those are published, and he's such a win. You know, like he's so difficult, Wells, and he's so full of himself um, and narcissist. He comes across that way. I mean, we know that he's full of bluster and bravado, but uh, in this instance, it's not that it's absent, but he seems to have a very different tone with Dennis Hopper. I know it's just two hours plus, but he seems to have an enormous amount of respect for Dennis Hopper as an artist. He just doesn't give him the hard time that I've read him gives the other guys. I mean, I still think he gives him a really hard time. Um, it's a you know, it's, it's, to me, it, it's, this is one of those pieces where you're never quite sure if Orson's speaking as Orson and when he's speaking as Jake. Um, well, as the, the character. As, Explain that, yeah. Yeah. So because at some points, you know, he, he switches into the, the Jake Hannaford character, which ultimately is played by John Huston. I do think he tries to provoke and uses the voice of Jake Hannaford um, to try to get a response from Hopper, who's so hard to pin down. Um, he's so elusive. He's, um, you know, he, he really feels uncomfortable um, in, in the role that he was cast in as, uh, as somebody who was um, a leader of what was then a revolutionary movement. And, you know, and, and I think Wells does label him as, um, I'm trying to remember, is it the unwilling revolutionary or no, reluctant revolutionary? Reluctant, yeah. And so... Um, I, I, I think with a lot of this stuff, you know, on a, on a kind of a point by point basis, um, I think it, it's sometimes tough to separate, you know, where it's Wells and, and where it's Jake. I do though think that, and, and I think a lot of people who, um, you know, kind of who watch the film that I've discussed it with have come away with a take that this is, um, you know, less so conversation than it is interrogation, um, which, you know, it's, it's, I, I see that point, um, especially the, the second part, um, really taking Hopper to task on his political views and on his lack of activism. But it's, it's yeah, I guess so. However, I look at it in a way that's not, he's, it doesn't seem to, I mean, again, maybe I need to watch the whole thing again, uh, but it, it seems like he wasn't doing it in quite such a patronizing tone. But again, I may have missed that. I just feel like, um, and, you know, I wasn't watching film content of his conversations with Peter Bogdanovich. I've just read it. So I don't know what the tone in his voice was, but it reads a lot more difficult, of, you know, of a personality. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, and, Wells invited him. So this, is, this, this much I know is that you know, Hopper flew to L.A. at Wells' request. Right. So I think this was already a massive honor. Um, and, and Hopper absolutely revered Wells. I mean, it's, you know, he did Easy Rider on the, you know, based on the Wells model where he directed, produced, wrote, starred in, um, and 
Right. And so, and this was something where, you know, so he absolutely revered him. And for Wells, he was interested in this young hotshot, um, somebody who was then the toast of Hollywood. And, and, and he wanted to, you know, see if he was maybe worth the acclaim. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's testing him on, on both film knowledge. It's interesting that he doesn't correct him when he makes mistakes. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, if, if Wells was catching those mistakes, how current he was in, in terms of, um, you know, current cinema, especially European cinema, because that's really what they were discussing more so than anything uh, American. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's to me, the, you know, there's, there's certainly funny moments with uh, Antonioni. Um, also, very strange that Orson Welles wouldn't know who Bob Dylan is at that point. And, um, you know, in uh, November of 1970, I mean, talk about, you know, somebody who was a, a counterculture icon. And so, you know, and, and I thought Wells was, you know, pretty hip when it came to pop culture. So, um, or oh, counterculture. It's a surprise that you didn't do a decavit show with Bob Dylan or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Also, we, you know, one thing is that he did have a very complicated relationship, Wells, with uh, Peter, their power struck, their sort of, uh, um, I guess you call it a, a sort of not a power structure, but you know they definitely had a. Uh, um, but it was difficult for Wells, especially of course, as Peter Rose. We we know that. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I, well, the other thing is when you were talking about Dylan, maybe uh, he was Hannaford in that moment. Maybe. Well, I mean, it's Hannaford didn't. Know we don't know, right? It's fun to speculate. I think it's fun to speculate for a lot of the the stuff that he drops in there. Um, there's a lot of things and, you know, and, and obviously when it comes to, um, you know, some of the, um, uh, some of the political stuff, um, you know, when he's talking about Franco's side of the war, um, when he's talking, no, 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 now I'm speaking as Hannaford. Um, so some of that stuff, he's just trying to provoke a response. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we have, I have no idea. I think, you know, we'll never know. It's just left to speculate at which point is it Orson, at which point is it Jake? What is what is your sense through these projects about Wells is coming from the traditional Hollywood, although he was never traditional in that, uh, you know, context or in that con- yeah context, he really wasn't ever traditional, but he does come from a different, very different generation. And, and all of a sudden he's, he's working with uh, these young folks, you know, um, and seems very curious and wants to you know uh wants to collaborate with these guys like peter like dennis hopper uh and peter bogdanovich not peter fonda but uh so what's your sense in terms of wells you know his journey like through that did he do you feel like he embraced the generation i mean hard for me to say i think there was a curiosity i mean clearly he was surrounding himself and if you look at the the script, there were certainly many more filmmakers who he hoped would show up to that party, uh, which they eventually shot in seventy two and seventy three. That take place takes place in the really the whole second and third act of Other Side of the Wind. Um, I think he was curious. I think he was especially curious by those filmmakers who kind of set out uh, to make independent films, um, who wanted to, um, who respected the autonomy that Orson wanted to maintain in his filmmaking. And, and many of them regarded him as the first independent filmmaker. And I think, um, you know, kind of New Hollywood certainly um, 
they had a lot of those principles. Um, I actually wanted to talk a little bit, before, I don't know how much more time you have, um, we can wind it down soon, but um, I wanted to talk about Gary Graver, who shot this, and he also had an interesting relationship with Wells. He was maybe the greatest devotee uh, of, of Wells. I mean, how much do you know about Gary? I mean, I, I know quite a bit through Bob. Um, so Bob Morawski, the editor of both the pieces, right, of uh, Other Side of the Wind and, and Hopper Wells. Um, so he lived, I think, three houses down from Gary. Um, so, and, and, and we didn't know that prior to the meeting with, with Bob. Uh, so Frank Marshall and I met with him and you know, it's, he was approaching us through various parties. I mean, Bob really wanted the gig um, and we didn't know how close he was to the material through Gary. Mm -hmm. So I ended up learning quite a bit about him uh, through Bob. And then I developed a relationship with his son, Sean, who helped us, um, you know, gave us a lot of materials that Gary had left, um, left behind uh, from his editing process, et cetera. So, um, but in terms of, you know, what struck me about Hopper Wells and, and, and this material is, um, is the aesthetic and, I, I loved this, um, you know, this kind of almost Pennebaker-like camera that's just constantly going around. And it, it's, it, it makes, to me, this two-hour conversation as lively uh, or livelier um, because of the camera work. And to me, this felt like a camera test. This is, this is way different than the other interviews, than the interviews with uh, Mazursky and Jaglum and with Curtis Harrington. Um, to me, this is just way more. And it's, when we were talking about... Oh, uh, you just cut out for a second. I'm sure I got the recording, but I, I didn't hear what you just, uh, the last part. You said that this, the aesthetic of it, um, it just to me felt like this was a, such a cool camera test for Other Side of the Wind. Because if we're talking about November of 1970, um, eventually a lot of the party scenes um, for the feature would take on this type of style. Um, this handheld you know, kind of zooming in so fast so you are able to get focused and then zooming back out. Um, and, and so this felt like an extended camera test. And I, I love the rawness of it. And I felt like, especially with, you know, the, the way that we ended up editing it and keeping the slates in and making it feel like you're there in the room, you can't escape the same way that Hopper can't escape. And, and I, I love that. I love the form. Um, and obviously, that's why we put that little piece at the beginning with, um, and I believe that's Gary's wife, uh, Connie Graver, then wife, who was the camera assistant. So, she, you know, she coming in with a slate in front of Hopper's face and, and Orson says, you know, get that slate in there and ask, don't ask so nicely. And so it sets it up because Hopper's constantly has that slate put in front of his face, can't break concentration because Wells never lets up. And, and to me, keeping those in, you know, made it so that that conversation feels way more intimate because you're given the whole thing. And so, you know, I, I really like that, including that grandfather clock striking three times, you know, you even have that passage of time element in it. So it just feels like this very intimate, you know, fireside conversation between Hopper and Wells. It's called Hopper Wells. It premiered at Venice and then it's going to be at the New York Film Festival. 
Yeah, we had a driving driving screening, which was wonderful oh, on the 18th, which I'm, I'm I'm in Europe right now, so I unfortunately missed. Oh, are you? There was a it's there like, was a there was a screening at Queens, and then I uh, I believe it goes on the virtual cinema starting today. Wonderful, fantastic. It's I mean you know everybody's got to see this. Uh, anybody's remotely interested in the this subject matter we've been we've been discussing, but. Um, Dennis Hopper rising at, to the top of his uh, career. Well, I mean, what a what a career he had. But pre-apocalypse, <laughs> post-easy ride. Pre-apocalypse, but already having his little thing about fractions in his head. So, uh, <laughs> you know, already working that material. Oh, I hope this is just uh, two now. Of, I hope there are more projects ahead, Philip. I look forward to uh, to seeing more. Thank you very much. It's really nice meeting you. And uh, where are you? You mentioned you're in Europe. I'm currently in Warsaw. Uh, this is a pit stop from Italy. Um, and then a bunch of more festivals on this, this side of the world where they're actually still doing in-person festivals. And where do you call home? You know what, LA, but um, let me tell you, it's been, uh, I, I, came to, I came to Warsaw um, for four days in March. And ah. Here I am. You, yeah, right. Yeah. So, kind of yeah, it's a confinement. Or, confinement's right. kept me on this side. So I've been between Poland and France. Okay, I can think of worse things. Kind of doing the uh, Polanski. Lansky. Except not in hiding, but yes. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> stay put. That's all I can say. At least for a few more months. That's my my advice. It's really nice to uh, to make your acquaintance, and uh, I hope we can pick this up again sometime. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Adam. Take care. Michael Taylor is a very prolific editor. He's been brought onto lots of projects, and we've had on so many filmmakers and people from various film projects that Michael has been the editor on. And, uh, I mean, he edited uh, Iris Sachs' Love is Strange, Rick Alverson's The Comedy, two films for Liza Johnson, who has appeared on here, both Hate Ship, Love Ship, as well as Elvis and Nixon. He, he has edited Free Indeed, The Missing Girl, White Girl, Youth in Oregon, um, A Kid Like Jake, Skin, The Farewell. And now he's got several projects coming up, which are either currently editing or just recently finished editing. He's also just a friend of mine, and I'm always happy to have him back on the podcast. He's a tried and true New Yorker like myself, and we're both sort of having conversations, not in New York City, but about New York City. So I hope you enjoy it. This was recorded about halfway through the real heart of the quarantine time. And so that's where our minds were at at the time. I, I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Michael Taylor back. On Filmlands Radio. Mm-hmm. 
first of all, I would go to a movie theater at this point if it was 50% occupancy and everyone wore masks. I don't have a problem. Well, that's the big if, though. Well, but I just wish there were more people like me. Apparently, um, uh, apparently 10% of Democrats, when they uh, polled them a little while ago, only 10% of Democrats said they would enter a movie theater if there was no vaccine. Now, if that's true, we're we're in trouble. Um, I mean, obviously we're in tr- more in trouble because of the virus, but, uh, you know, like so many people in our industry, you know, I do have my eye on, well, what's, you know, yes, we have to produce movies, but also we have to screen them. That's part of the, part of the process. And, uh, I know, I think I'm very restless because, uh, you know, we had, we had this film nine days, you know, at Sundance and it's like, uh, we're hoping it's going to get, be able to get out there into the world. And I think it's going to, but it's just a question of when. Well, so where are you right now? Okay. So, uh, my wife and I have been in Truro, Massachusetts, uh, which is right near the end of Cape Cod. Uh, we, uh, we're in between Provincetown and Wellfleet. Uh, right near the tip. It's known as the Outer Cape. Weirdly enough, the Outer Cape is also known as the Lower Cape, which doesn't really make any sense, but it is for some reason called the Lower Cape. And uh, we've been here since uh, April 10th. Uh, We, uh, you know, it's a house that has been in my wife's family since she was a kid, Uh, but it's not winterized. It's not set up for the winter. It doesn't have the right insulation. It doesn't have any uh, built-in heating that works. So uh, we have never really come up in the winter. And uh, April was was basically the winter. It was uh, (laughs) 30 30 degrees at night. It was 40 degrees in the morning. But... uh, we, so we, we literally, we had to wait until we could get the water turned on. The water, the water gets turned off in the winter because if, uh, if you have water going in the winter and the pipes freeze, the, all the pipes burst. So the, the end of the season every year, whenever the end of the season is, uh, which is usually October for this house, uh, we have to drain all the water from the pipes. And then the house is no longer really inhabitable because we have no more indoor plumbing. So the house comes to life with the water getting turned on and we're able to find someone uh, here to do that. Uh, It's uh, in April and we came up. uh, We had quarantined in New York uh, or sheltered in place, whatever you want to call it, since, uh, since about March 18th. Uh, Judy had had a project up in Boston and I went to visit her there and then it it shut down and uh, she, everyone moved from Boston back to New York, uh, but, or wherever they were from, but it was in prep. They hadn't started shooting anything. Uh They were just, yeah. So, yeah. So ask away. What? Ask what? I have no questions for you, man. I have no questions for you. I'm relying on you just to talk solidly for the next half hour or 40 minutes with no interruption. Stream of consciousness. Ready and go. (laughs) Well, hi, Adam. (laughs) Hi, Adam. Uh, It's good seeing you again. This is Um, me, me, like a series, you know, like now uh, catching up with friends, you know, instead of doing it but doing it in a 
in this bizarrely kind of public way, I guess, semi-public way. Uh, and then are you going to like release a series of videos? Is that the plan or put them up on your site? Well, this could be audio only. Yeah. Uh, or you can do video. Okay. Yeah. That's what I've, been doing. I've been doing more of it because um, why not? I mean, as long as people are comfortable with it, it's, uh, I think it's a nice uh, option. You know I mean? I think so. It's funny. I mean, there are a number of things that are going to come out of this process in hopefully a good way one is that on a lot of the projects that i do uh we're often editing the movie in new york state or new york city because we have a terrific tax credit post tax credit yes but very often the films originate from los angeles or or have substantial la production company money so Hmm. i'm uh very often faced this was true with the farewell and with um especially with Nine Days, with Edson Oda's film last fall. Which one? Where we, it's called Nine Days. Nine um, Days. This is, this is, yeah, this is my next film to come out. It's called Nine Days. Uh, Edson Oda is the director. Who? Uh, Edson. You haven't heard of him yet, but... Uh, What's his name? His name is Edson, E-D-S-O-N, Edson Oda, O-D-A. Okay. He's of Japanese ancestry, but he was born and raised in Brazil. So he considers himself to be Brazilian uh, Japanese. And this was a film that we, uh, we started shooting in Salt Lake City last summer, a year ago in the summer. And we shot it from June until September, early September. Uh, and it was quite a long shoot because there were some, the, the main shoot was basically August, early September, but we also had some shooting we had to do in June and July to prepare for the main shoot because the lead character in the movie, uh, who's played by Winston Duke, who was uh, one, of, one of the dads in Us, and he was also uh, in Black Panther, a number of other films, but he's the lead. Okay. Uh, he plays a character who's in charge of deciding which souls uh, get to be reborn or get to be, actually I'm saying that wrongly, uh, which souls get to be born. These are souls that have never been born. Um, Where, maybe, what are they? Maybe you can edit <laughs> what that. Are, well, I'll let, I'll no, just, there's uh, no editing. There's no just editing. Michael. Let me just say, uh, just make a disclaimer. Michael Taylor is one of the great Indywood, Indywood uh, editors of the day. His imprint is on, countless great films and he's brilliant and funny and smart and very good looking and uh today at least <laughs> and um we if he if he trips over a word here and there it's because he's got so many thoughts and uh, so much to con- contribute that these things happen so there now you can okay worry about well editing. i'm gonna i'm gonna try to set up this movie a little better because uh, all of us who work on it are really proud of it and i think that i can do it i can i can i can it's just can more work some. i can edit well i don't think you need to now that you've now that you've given that disclaimer um you know, I, I know we're going to talk a, a lot about what's been going on uh, in my life for the last four or five months uh, since our our basic movie world shut down, mm-hmm. uh, and the world itself has largely shut down. I've heard about uh, that. Well, it actually has not shut down enough. That's the problem, of course. Um, uh, Too much and not enough at the same time. There's all sorts of 
Well, dichotomies. Our, our, our country just gave up on it way too soon. And, uh, and now we're paying the price, unfortunately. Uh, and at any point, we could, we could reverse the trajectory of this virus, but we don't have the will for it in this country at the moment. Well, I mean, I do. Um, you do, I do. But I, we're not I, I quarantined very, very seriously for months, which was almost, uh, you could consider a waste of time now. Well, no, not it, really, because uh, you're in New York State still, I think. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in Massachusetts, and we're sort of in this, uh, this alternate uh, United States of the Northeast uh, that uh, took this thing very seriously. And once you cross the border into uh, New Jersey and all the way uh, up from New Jersey into New England, you have one state after another with relatively low virus levels at this moment. Uh, uh, Massachusetts and Rhode Island are going up a little bit because we have all the beaches. So people are coming for the beaches, but, uh, we're in, we're in good shape. And if the rest of the country was like us, uh, which they should have been by now, uh, we would be looking forward to reopening more things in the fall. Um, we're going to get there. Um, but we don't have the political will. Of, on the federal level, obviously, at the moment. And we don't, unfortunately, have it enough from the American people. We still have far too many people well, who don't believe in this yeah. virus. And, well, the bigger pandemic is idiocy. So unfortunately, you compile that, and then you have a, a, a disaster. And it, not only are, as you said, are, I forget which comedian uh, talk show host says, there, if there's tea in the shallow part of the pool, eventually it's going to get into the deep part. So it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, that's the problem with it. And like on a global scale, so you have those red, red states that, you know, would do anything that Trump suggests and will yeah. say anything, anything. And then, of course, on a global scale, even if, uh, like all these other great countries uh, that have been, or I should say other countries that are actually it all but eradicated the virus, we're the problem now for them because we're still like this enormous center of you know, uh, potential uh, money for them of uh, tourism. I mean, it's just inevitable that that if that if it consists uh, continues here, it will eventually make its way to other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it's just, I mean, you know. No, I'm I'm not the first to say this. I read this somewhere, so it's it's not my my idea or anything. But I read that Canada right mm-hmm. now is like having. Uh, your apartment above a meth lab. Yeah, it's a, that's that's one of those slow. Yeah. It's one of those slow burn things. Yeah, you think about it. I like that. My but, joke um, was that my my joke was that Canada was going to build a wall yeah. along the, its southern border, and that Mexico was going to Mexico offered to pay for it. <laughs> I just like the uh, <laughs> just so we'll go away. Uh, it's, uh, just it's just good, to punish, just for the irony of it. They're like, it, okay, uh, we'll give money for that. We'll pay for that. That, that wall we'll pay for. Yeah. Um, but uh, so it's been, uh, you know, uh, Adam, I know we only have so much time. We could, no, spend, go ahead. We, we could talk for hours because it's been such, it's such a tragic time for the world and for yeah. so many Americans. But for some people, it's hardly tragic at all. You know, if if like you're like my wife and myself, fortunate enough to have a nice apartment in New York and a and a country house up in Cape Cod that we can go to, where we've been retreating since mid-April. 
uh, we hardly feel the effects at all. You know, we wear we wear a mask everywhere we go. We've had and you're both uh, you're both your your careers are completely uh, tied to film world. Well, our and... careers our careers are in essence on pause right now. And right. That, uh, so Judy the... was, uh, she was about to start a film that there, she was in prep. And in my case, I had a few small things lined up that were sort of leftover finishing projects from last year. But uh, in a, any sort of normal year, I would have been on a, a regular f narrative feature film by June, June or July. Uh, and right now, we'd be sort of in the trenches editing it for Sundance or sure. something like that. And uh, instead, I'm, I've, uh, I'm sort of, I've, I'm quite deep into some documentary projects, which is an area of filmmaking that I haven't been doing as much of recently. I, I started my career quite a few documentaries mixed in with narratives, but, and it was, it was kind of half and half back then, you know, you know, every time I do an, a doc, I would do a narrative next and then a documentary, but uh, documentaries are really easy for me to work on right now because uh, people simply have to send me their footage. And uh, I've, I'm actually on three projects right now that I'm juggling and I, I sometimes will work on one project one day and another project the next day and, and then go back to the other one. And that's kind of fun. And I, I have two hard drives on my desk, uh, which cover three different projects. And I'm about to get a third hard drive this weekend or Monday for a fourth project. So that's kind of exciting. You know, uh, like a lot of us fortunate Americans, uh, we were collecting the $600 a week while I was there, which was useful. Uh, um, it, you know, for my wife and myself, it was much less money than we normally make, uh, but our expenses were low and we weren't working. It was like we were on vacation. Uh, again, I had to keep telling myself, you know, we're the extraordinary lucky ones who are out here in the country with our cat and, you know, collecting almost $2,000 a week, uh, but are our, our, for doing nothing. Well, I would say doing nothing except it, we're really just getting our taxes back that we've paid. It's not like it's, uh, it's not like money we didn't put in at some point. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I, at the beginning of the year or when this started, which really March for us in America, in the United States, uh, I've been sort of, I was coming off of a project that I was really proud of that you know, I started to tell you about a moment ago, nine days uh, Jason Berman, who's a terrific producer, was, was a, one of our lead producers. And we had several other producers from other companies uh, working on this film with Ed Zenoda. And uh, the, the cast is really, is really one of the best casts of actors I've, I've ever had for any movie. Uh, it was, uh, and, you know, for me as an editor, that makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, the, uh, hopefully the script is good in the story, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I thrive on what actors can do. And uh, for this one, we had Winston Duke uh, working with Zazie Beetz. And, you know, mm. Zazie was in Joker and uh, she's on Atlanta. The neighbor, right? She was the neighbor. She was the neighbor. And, and, and as good as she was in Joker, I, I love Joker, by the way. Uh, Zazie has so much more that, that she can do and that she can show off in this movie. And same for Winston Duke, you know, who had a, a great role in Us and in... Uh, Black Panther, but in this movie, he can really show off his range. He can show it. He can. He's just a terrific, uh, like Shakespearean level actor, just fantastic. And then we had this uh, wonderful guy from England, from Manchester, uh, Benedict Wong, who was in Doctor Strange and a number of other films. 
We've got uh, Tony Hale, a double, I think, double Emmy winner for Veep and numerous. Yeah, other. and uh, Arrested Development. Arrested Development, really lovely guy and so talented. I'd like and to get him on eventually. That would be you should, you should. Well, you, you know, when this movie comes out, which yeah. will, I think, is either going to be later this year or it might, it might be at the beginning of next year because you know they've moved the whole awards season, so that. Like yeah. January and February next year are sort of what used to be November and December. When you, always, you know, the, the films that people have the greatest hopes for award consideration come out in the last 10 weeks of the year, uh, it seems. So the so last 10 weeks of the year for this year is going to be the first 10 weeks of next year. It's very strange. Uh, you know, we're used to like January being uh, sort of a desert for films, but it might actually it may be it turn out to be a wonderful time for us mm-hmm. if we can beat this virus and we can open up movie theaters again. If you're I, there to open. Yeah. For, for, I mean, I'm just speaking very selfishly. I want them, there to be movie theaters. So people, well, can it's not selfish. Oh, well, yeah. Well, and of course I yeah. want movie theaters so I can go see things too. I mean, uh, you know, at the beginning of this crisis, like so many other people, I, I realized uh, this is this is the time like it's the time I always thought about like when I would break my leg or something which I fortunately have never done where I finally get to catch up on all the Netflix shows all the HBO shows you know I finally finished Westworld and I started to watch Mad Men all over again and we finished Homeland and we my wife and I watch a lot of Nordic noir of which there's like uh, so many different detective shows from yeah. Sweden. You watched uh, Homeland? Oh, I loved Homeland. Yeah, I, I watched Homeland. I still haven't finished that. But are you watched the, all of this, the last, you watched the final season? We watched the final season and I got oh, to the, which Jacob's, I loved actually. You Jacob's got, mother is in that, you know, my ex-wife. Oh, 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 I didn't know that. What part did she play? Do you, do you know? I haven't caught up yet. I mean, I'm in season five or something. Oh, wow. Well, you know, but I stopped watching it a while. I have to go back and finish it up. Well, it, Homeland was interesting because, you know, it, it sort of dipped down a little bit. It was great in the first few years with Brody right. being part of it. Then it dipped down a little bit, but then it found its its legs again around season five or six. And uh, then I think it might have dipped down again. But this was a terrific season, and it was a great, great ending. Uh, I was really happy with it. Yeah, she was, I, they shot it in Africa. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, Morocco, I think a lot, right? Morocco. Yeah, so she Morocco, made a couple of. Cool. Morocco seems like the sort of the stand-in place for so much of the third world. Uh, it's like all kinds of Arab countries. It's uh, it's sort of. Um, I don't know why I can't get it. Yeah, but, but if you look it up, she's but, um, uh, on the last season. She plays a like you know an an agent or something like that. I don't remember. But it's, you know, it's been in for. Again, again, anyway. and I have to qualify all of this by saying w- my wife and I were among the lucky ones. Uh, we, you know, I can't say we had so much money saved up or anything because we didn't. You know, we we both work on I don't uh, think modest yeah, projects. Uh, I, um, we don't get paid that much that we can always you know have something put aside. But uh, our living expenses are cheap, and we had government money coming in, and it's just. Uh, Yep. it's been a chance to sort of reevaluate everything. It's very, that's very true. It's the, very true, right? You can slow. I think that's the the benefit if you're not completely stressed out by your circumstances. It has been a really. Can you hold on one second? I just have yeah. to. Uh, gotta put in the hearing device. <sighs> yeah, I got some uh, coffee for myself okay. as well. I got some Love coffee. That. 
I got some coffee oh, too. And uh, <laughs> that's good. No, that's just a, find, that was a comedic prop. Well, I like that. You know, uh, I don't drink. I, I drink socially with people. Oh, uh, you know, sometimes at the end of the day or on weekends at parties, but I don't drink on my own that often, luckily. Um, and when we came up to the countryside back in April, we didn't have any alcohol here in the house. And I thought this would be fun. And I actually had just done a film with a, a filmmaker in France. Uh, he and his wife didn't drink. And it was so odd being in France and not drinking wine with them. We actually, when we would go to restaurants, I would order some wine for myself because I it just felt I needed to have that in France. And, but um, up here, I sort of, I went through this experiment of, um, of not drinking for about uh, seven or eight weeks. And I was very happy to say there were no adverse results uh, or effects. Um, uh, on a positive side, what would be a, a sort of... What would be a potential what? adverse effect of not drinking? Well, of like having some incredible desire for it. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, yeah. Then okay. I would know that, uh, like, oh my God, I have to. I, luckily, I didn't feel that. And I thought I would because, you know, I drink on a fairly regular basis in, in the city, whether it's wine or beer or, um, you know, a Negroni or a margarita or something like that. Uh, you know, alcohol does relax me. And my job is stressful. And it's often sometimes I find myself. Uh, looking forward to just that little take the edge off moment. But I think I wanted to sort of maybe prove something to myself that I wasn't in any way dependent. And I was, that, that made me very happy. But I also felt coming into this and my wife was the same way. Uh, you know, obviously we've all been zooming like crazy with people and all these different conferences and I've, I've joined some more organizations recently, and the more organizations you join, the more invitations you, you know, now you're doing this with John Sloss and Christine Rashan, and now you're doing this thing with the union, and now you're doing this thing with the American Cinema Editors, now you're doing this with uh, the Academy, and uh, you get busier and busier, and uh, there's often people, you know, having those uh, happy hour Zooms, and I thought, this could be a problem. You know, we're sequestered. I, I don't think I have a problem, but I want to make sure I don't. And the easiest way was uh, just to do this little experiment. Uh, when June rolled around, I thought I was ready for some alcohol again. And um, I've, I've returned to my normal self of, uh, of drinks <laughs> here and there. And we, we just, uh, I was telling you before that we, you started recording, I think, we just had a couple of really, really good friends with us here. And... Uh, they actually, they both, uh, they both smoke, which we don't do, but um, it's so funny to find people smoking these days. Uh, uh, you know, I, I know. Yeah. I well, it's an addiction. So it's, not like, it's, an, it's an addiction, but, so and yeah. so I understand it, but it's, it's a terrible thing for people's health. And I hate seeing it. I hate seeing people in their twenties, teens and twenties smoking. I know. You know just starting it. Uh, these people are older and they're wonderful people. And uh, we had such a great time with them. And, uh, my wife and I try, try to be very accommodating. We didn't have any trouble with them even smoking in the house. You know, we're not one of those people. Oh, you better do this or that. But I, they both like to drink. They, uh, they like a little wine here. We had a lot of Aperol spritzes, um, all kinds of things. It was just, you know, it, it was a very celebratory time because I think, um, as I told you before, these guys have been quarantine, quarantining in Connecticut really have been removed from society, just like we have been. 
And we knew we were going to be with them for about five days and we were going to have meals with them and they were going to be staying in our house here. So we just, we all, among the four of us, agreed that we would not wear masks. And it was really the first time I've been around anyone since the beginning, in the middle of March, uh, not wearing it. Well, actually, we didn't wear masks at first. I mean, we started that, I think, early April. Uh, when you start to get that guidance. And we, we started with the bandana like a lot of people. And I think Cuomo made it, uh, had a mask mandate by like late April, if my memory is correct, and also the mayor, the governor here in Massachusetts. So, I mean, obviously those of us in the Northeast states, we've been doing masks for about four months, but um, unlike the rest of the country, it, it was just it was just very nice. It was almost like we were able to pretend that this, virus is not here. We also actually went out to a restaurant for the first time in this whole, uh, it was an outdoor restaurant. There was a lot of space. Uh, I had a, a two pound lobster, my first whole lobster since I've been up here and uh, our uh -huh. friends had, uh, everyone had good food and it just felt like um, we know we're not back to normal at all. And of course, this is a problem with the rest of the country where they decided they were back to normal too soon. So I don't want to presume here, but, you know, we're very fortunate. Well, a lot of the country wasn't even a, uh, an issue of returning to normal. They never uh, practiced any kind of alternative to begin well, with. That, it's that's true. It's true. So there was nothing to get normal back to normal. About. That's right. Uh, that's right. I mean, everyone, that's right. Every, people didn't stay home and some of their stores might have been closed, like the barbershop might have been closed or something look like at that. The, look at maybe the, the most... Uh, extreme example of that was that Tulsa, uh, you know, uh, rally in the arena. I mean, oh, there, well, there is like, you know, uh, the height of idiocy and, uh, you know. So well, it's almost go. like Trump was just trying to say, yeah. look, it's really, it's not anything. I'm going to prove that it's not anything. We're going to get, you know, 15, 20,000 people together and we're not going to wear masks. Uh, you know, and of course they ended up with a, a smaller turnout. Uh, I think luckily, I, some of it was the TikTok tickets were sold, but um, uh, a lot of it was, I think people were more scared than Trump realized they would be. Well, when you put your money where your mouth is, it's a quite a different thing yeah. when you're talking about going in and the pressure to And not then, you know, uh, Herman Cain, who was there, right. uh, no mask, is now dead a month after the rally. Now, he right. did he catch it at the rally or somewhere? Who, who, we'll never. No, he, you know, um, it's beside the point. Um, you know, he, it's just, you know, he's, uh, and then, well, they were, I thought they were, I guess you could be, he may have been asymptomatic because they did take temperatures when you went in there or something like that. Uh, they anyway, did, but you know, they, they, they also do, they do say, Adam, that uh, temperature is not always a reliable No, it's not. I agree gauge with that. Of Very often, I mean, very often, even if you're not asymptomatic, even if you get the disease on some level, uh, you can very often be in a point of spreading it for four or five days before you show anything. Right. So you're, you're, uh, you're like a silent spreader. Uh, and that's really the problem that we have too many silent spreaders. We have, you either haven't really shown the disease yet. The disease has not presented itself or it's never going to present yourself. You're completely asymptomatic, but either way you're lethal to other people. Sure. We had a situation here on the beach uh, just the other day on Saturday when I, I went with my friends, uh, we have a couple of different beaches we go to here. There's a small beach. And again, I sound so privileged like, Oh, the beach by me. 
Uh, but the choice know, of uh, beaches. You have a choice of. We have a choice of beaches. And, it's okay. Uh, I've been posting about. I mean, everywhere I walk around here is like out of some sort of paradise set of some unbelievable. Uh, where where are you right now? In fact, in the Hudson Valley. I'm up oh, in. Oh, uh, so great! That's oh, where I, I moved. For good or for a yeah. while? Yeah, no, not for good. Why? Why would I? If I, I mean, I, I, uh, if I need to do something in New York, I'll just go down to New York. So, are you from New York originally, Adam, or where? Yeah, so you're born in New Yorker, and you have left New York. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, See, there are just the only benefits. There are only reasons I was staying at this point. Well, there were two. One is uh, well, three, <laughs> uh, three primary reasons. One is um, work. Yeah. Uh, second family, third friends. Well, no, family and friends would be second category. Third category is the not the 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 infinite amount of things to do in New York City, right? Which turns out to be quite finite. Well, at the moment, the sure. yeah. Well, I I feel like we're we're only in the beginning of a long process here. Oh, I think I agree and, with you. I you know, agree. right, right. So we're not, we're we'll see various stages. I'm not going to be completely nihilistic about it, but you know, my feeling is that well, you know, first there was my dad dying, and then there was my my mom. I wasn't able to see her. Now I can see her, so I'm actually making a an appointment to go back down to the city later this week for my second time. That's and cool. yeah, it is good, but. Um, you know, like there's just, there was all the work I'm getting is I'm doing from, from home. And that looks like that's going to be the case for a while. And um, so there's that was removed. And um, you can't really see people. I mean, you can do what you did, but, you know, there's a very specific way and a very, very frequently see people. Like up here, there's no, there's nothing. And so it's very, and it's, there's so much more space and room. I have family yeah. coming here to visit today. Uh, so we can go out to a restaurant where you're under a tent on a mm -hmm. big table, space mm -hmm. apart from another, anybody else, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera, things mm -hmm. like that. And then, uh, and, and it's actually my aunt, my mom's sister, who's coming with her husband, and we've spent oh, time gosh. together over the last, she's like one of the few people also. They're my version of your friends that came and um etc so uh, the point being to answer your question is almost all the reasons that i felt compelled to stay but i was kind of burnt out and the that's tough you were talking about taking the edge off and drinking as you were saying that i was relating to you because i definitely developed a wine habit well what you will but i mean to take the edge off every night because mm -hmm. it just there is so much you know you could love your work and i know you do and you could be in a great relationship and i know you are and uh have all these things but living in new york was is still a stressful situation oh yeah um you know just the day-to-day -day stuff you deal with and you don't even think about you just sort of take it for granted and so well I, and it's always it's like anything it's the kind of thing like you like having a little bit of money in your pocket helps to reduce the stress just a tiny bit like right. even uh on nine days uh the last time i did in new york which where we were on post until the middle of December, we had some very, very long days. And at, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night, I had no desire to take the subway up to Washington Heights. Uh, it was super easy in the morning. 
oh, I could, you know, I, I, you know, we moved a few years ago from the Upper West Side to Washington Heights, and I was aware that it was going to add to my commute, and it did, but only in about 10 or 10, 15 minutes in the morning. And that, I don't, I don't even feel that, you know, I just wake up a tiny bit earlier, and I could, I could leave my neighborhood at, you know, 9.15, 9.20 in the morning and be at work at 10 of 10, you know, half an hour door to door, you know, because my, I work at Goldcrest a lot. That's in the meatpacking district. Just West, anyway. west side. I stay at right. almost all so the editing facilities. Straight and, shot. They're, and they're all on the west side, mostly Harbor and uh, Light Iron's a little further over. It's on Broadway, but it was pretty easy. And again, in the morning, it's the beginning of your day. You have a lot of energy. You're looking forward to your work, hopefully. Whereas at nine or 10 o'clock, even if, even if you had an incredibly satisfying day with your director and, and the other people you're working with, you're just, you're, you're, you're worn out. So like for me, the ability to take a $15 via ride, I used to do a lot of those, but on one of my films, I discovered via cause it's much cheaper than Uber or, or, um, lift and of course the whole concept with via is you it's a ride share so you're with a bunch of people so i guess that's not going to work out so well anymore but you know i would spend you know 70 80 dollars a week on transportation just getting home but it was it was also part of stress reduction because if i had walked over to the subway and started waiting for the a train at nine o'clock nine thirty ten o'clock i'd be home if i'm lucky at midnight because they don't go as often. No, and all the and, problems start. And, and then you get less local. sleep. And yeah. then, you know. So. Um, that decompression but, time is, becomes very valuable to New Yorkers. So. At, right? I mean, well, of course. Exactly. And, you know, the thing about me being out of New York for four months, uh, five months, uh, whatever it is now, it's August is uh, I don't have to decompress from anything because I'm in beautiful countryside <laughs> the whole time. You're, now, yeah. uh, as, but as you pointed out, you've, now you've left New York for good. I, well, we'll say, I'm, we'll say uh, indefinitely. I'm one of these people, but I know a lot of other people, especially people who, you know, a lot of the people that we all work with in New York are not from New York. Uh, they've moved to New York from different parts of the country to, to realize their film dreams. My wife and I, we're actually, we're from New York. We're native New Yorkers, both of us. And uh, uh, it's, it, it, at least at this moment, uh, neither of us would ever consider not being in New York as far as New York City, as far as it being our home base. Now, of course, I like being other places. I enjoyed being in Salt Lake City last summer for nine days and China for Lulu's film. But... Um, and I love travel. I love going all over the sure. place. But uh, I sort of like knowing that New York City will be my where I come back to. And although I don't particularly want to be in New York City at this moment, uh, as things improve, uh, maybe as the restaurant scene improves a bit, maybe the movie, maybe movie theaters start to open as soon as the Metrograph. I think I'm sort of like waiting for the Metrograph and the IFC and the Film Forum to tell me they're open for business. And well, uh, maybe I wonder I'm, how they're doing with remote. Well, I'm sorry, with virtual cinema. I, I can't imagine it pays the bills, but uh, maybe. Well, I can't. And, uh, you know, it, I mean, uh, like, but maybe. I, as, as so many things are, are going to change on an essentially almost permanent basis from this crisis. And one of them will be that more, more than ever before, people will consume their movies on their computers and on their big screen TVs. Uh, that's not going to go away. Uh, I think the percentage of people who go to the movie theater is actually going to decline. But hopefully, 
there still will be an audience for that. They're just uh, some movie theaters will probably close and some movies will not get made and some movies will not get shown theatrically. I mean, we certainly we've seen this whole summer, a whole bunch of smaller films that should have had summer releases uh, now going straight to Hulu or Netflix or HBO. And uh, for this film that we had last year, Nine Days, I'm certainly hoping we still have a theatrical uh, opening of some sort, even if it's smaller, even if the audiences are smaller. Just the fact that people get to experience uh, something like that uh, on a big screen. Because it's a big movie. It has a, a big... Edson is a very visionary director, and uh, you sort of want to see what he's done. You're, are you hired Thanks. for that film by a distribution company? Is it already distributed? Yes, Sony right, Pictures. So, Sony Pictures Classics. So where did they pick it up? Um, at Sundance. We were at Sundance. Okay. So that was the first and last festival of the uh, yeah uh, the season and, last year, um, and yeah. I I the, earlier this year I should say, but so it's an unusual circumstance where you didn't have to rely anymore on the festival circuit which people typically would probably just do to build up maybe some more press and we're lucky yeah yeah i mean to be really honest uh yeah we were supposed to have follow-ups like uh south by southwest right uh we were i think booked for bam cinema fest in june you know it's you and i we both love that festival i think uh we most likely would have been in uh, toronto i mean i think we had actually gotten a commitment for toronto but toronto shrank from 250 films to 50 films and uh, obviously, if I'm programming Toronto, uh, I would probably choose to have 50 films that haven't been shown before. Rather hold on than a sec. Uh, I got to pause again. I pause. Hold that thought for a second. Awesome. So, no, my aunt, her husband is uh, got diabetes. He's uh, takes insulin, and he they at the last second he ran back into it at the house before they left, and he, which you know he had upset their plan, uh, so he then he left his insulin in the house um, and he realized that a little while ago as they're driving up here so they stopped at a pharmacy um down in monroe new york yeah uh so they're about 45 minutes away oh wow. but i said just take your time get get that yeah. do whatever you have to do it's better than yeah. the idea of driving all the way back <laughs> which oh case I would, well i'm it's so i so i'm kind of amazed the pharmacy was able to give him the insulin so easily you know because it's so hard getting drugs from a pharmacy if you don't have the right prescription or it's a wrong pharmacy. Right. Well, he's, um, it's interesting. He's like one of those rare cases of somebody who, you know, has had this issue. It's like Mary Tyler Moore in a way yeah. Uh, yeah. where, you know, he's been in great shape all of his life. Yeah. Nothing, it was not brought yeah. on. It was just yeah. genetic, you know, or yeah. whatever. So, but he, I'm sure his doctor just, they called the doctor and they got the that, Yeah, it's good. I mean, well, yeah. again, nice that he was able to reach his doctor. Um, yeah. I mean, I used to, I, my, my private doctor, I mean, my personal doctor became part of a clinic and then became part of another clinic. And it's all part of NYU now, but it's hard to reach these folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was supposed to have a checkup today, uh, August 10th. My last checkup was in January. I remember seeing the guy. He, I, he did give me a flu shot, which I normally have resisted in the past, but I, because I had actually had the flu in December. Oh. And we did talk about COVID, and he said, don't worry a thing in about December? it. In December? The flu. 
I had I had not COVID, but I had flu in December. Okay. For like a, no, no, but I was wondering when you were talking about COVID at that appointment. We were talking in January because oh. uh, they the China announced it in December. Oh, now okay. yeah, again, why we didn't do anything in this country? January, well, I, I mean, uh, no. who knows? But we didn't. And uh, I remember asking my doctor, "Was this going to be an issue? This COVID thing?" And you know, I mean, he liked so many people. I mean, he didn't have enough information, but he said, oh, you know, so many more people are going to die from the common flu, and we just don't have... Well, it's true. That was the prevailing view at that uh, point. Right. But nobody ever... The only reason why people die of the flu is because we don't insist on quarantining for that. I mean, the truth is if we quarantined all winter, I mean, if we were in deep quarantine again right now, even if the flu season starts... We wouldn't get the, the that, very That's many absolutely people. true. No, that's absolutely true. In fact, they've said in the southern oh. hemisphere, which should have been having a lot of flu right now, there's almost no flu. It's eradicated. So that's a silver lining. It is. I'm, um, gonna get, I'm planning to get my, my. I had my last doctor appointment in March, and I yeah. guess what? I had a virus when I wow. went to my doctor appointment. This was about a week, maybe a week and a half before this quarantining started. And yeah. I, we were still not convinced. I had a sore throat, mm. runny nose, mm. a little fever at one or for a day or two. In retrospect now, I think it, I have to get the antibody test, but I, that could have been, I might have caught it. Um, I just had a very light case of it, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I was confirmed that I had a virus mm. in March, just days before. I mean, it, COVID was around already and obviously catching like, like wildfire uh yeah. but but oh, i no. just let, i just Absolutely. shrugged off the idea that i yeah. i mean you know and then i quarantined with and then uh yeah jacob moved in right after that and right. um right. so yeah anyhow uh so yeah. i got i should get the antibody test but i'm definitely getting the flu shot well yeah i mean i'll get the flu shot and i'll get the as you know if there's reasonable assurances that the vaccine is halfway safe again I guess, you know, we all have different <laughs> levels. We have yeah, the different risks. levels of risk uh, uh, assessment. And yeah. like I say, I'll, if I'm, if there's a movie theater showing a movie I want to see, and they've, uh, I think right now I've decided 50% is what I'm looking for. If they've closed off 50% of the seats, well, that they sh- I'll do I'm that. Sh- I think that's what the... I think well, that's what, they're, what, that's what the, they thought they were going to do. I mean, they were supposed to open j- July 15th. Right. Remember back in uh, yes. April, that's what they were saying. They're going to show Tenant oh. July 15th, followed by Mulan, which is now on to Disney. What about uh, the drive in idea? Well, drive ins are fine, but there's only so many drive ins. And uh, it's kind of, we're in kind of a weird drive in situation now where they're showing occasional art films like the Amy Simons film, which I hear is great, by the way. You oh, I just on. had her on the pot. I did. Oh, you did. Oh, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that yet. So on the current season. episode is Amy oh. Simons, Caitlin Sheil, and Jane Adams. Oh, I. You know, I've I've never worked with Amy directly, but Kate, of course, was in the comedy. Right. And Jane Adams was in Happiness all those years. Well, ago, you didn't do that, before, which did was you? I script supervised. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I did two films with Todd Solon's happiness and storytelling. So uh, yeah. uh, those, were, those were good days before I became an editor. Yeah. Um, 
See, that was that was good good stuff. Well, that okay. I'm gonna definitely listen to that show. It's, I, you know, I it's short. The problem, my problem with it is that it's just I didn't get enough time for what I I made an exception. Mm-hmm. You know, I normally don't do under a half hour or right. thir- twenty minutes to half hour. Right. right. And with, with both of them, yeah, I had about fifteen. I think I stole a few extra minutes. It's just I can't get into the rhythm, and so I don't. I typically don't do it. So yeah. I feel like that is. It just doesn't work with the kind of thing I'm doing to do yeah. shorter. Unless I, uh, I, actually, I go on a lot of bike rides here, and, but I listen to podcasts and books very often. Sure. Well, I listened to this whole book about Chernobyl when I first got here. And then after Chernobyl, I did one about Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band, a little lighter subject than Chernobyl. And right now I'm actually listening to Brian Stevenson's memoir about mercy which, you know, is kind of an incredible book. You know, a, that's obviously the um, foundation for the film about Mercy. Okay. Which I actually still haven't seen. I've heard it's terrific. Uh, but, uh, and then there's a documentary about Brian Stevenson on HBO called uh, Finding Justice. Uh, he's, you know, a leading opponent of the death penalty and uh, uh, one of these, you know, hundreds of tiresome uh, lawyers out there working to free, uh, free people, uh, uh, who've been imprisoned erroneously or just uh, to free them period or make sure that the state doesn't kill them. Sure. So I've been doing that, but I'll switch to your podcast and uh, cause wow. I want to hear them. Um, There's some uh, great stuff on uh, that. I know I've no, I've, I've been looking, you've been having some good people on, uh, but you know, a lot has happened Adam since I last saw you, which was, uh, I saw you a year ago. Is it that uh, long? It was actually, Adam, it was 13 months was. ago. You came, I remember exactly where it was. I was editing a very frustrating scene for nine days at the moment. It wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. And I also knew that I was going to fly to Salt Lake City on Monday. And you came right. on Friday evening. And I really wanted to see you, really wanted to talk to you. But I was in the middle of like artistic stress of having not got in the scene I was working on to the point where I wanted it to be and it was it was annoying me so it was sort of hard to take a break mentally uh come down and talk to you but we did we had a we talked for about an hour I think uh and if you we talked about three films we talked about the three films that hadn't come out Farewell. uh, Farewell uh Skin and The Mountain and the rest is history uh it turned out to be uh uh, for a lot of us, a very exciting year. Uh, honestly, one of the best years for me in terms of of a theatrical release hitting people. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, the farewell was interesting because once it passed a certain number of of cities, it started tapering off. You know, it got to about twenty million. Uh, and then it started tapering off, and that seemed to be largely uh, continued resistance to subtitles. And you really called um, it on the uh, on Aquafina, Aquafina that her winning. Yeah, yeah, she she ended up winning uh, Best Actress at the Gotham's, uh, which we were privileged to attend, and we were able to celebrate with Aquafina and Lulu and the producers, and and then uh, you know then we had the Spirit Awards, and it won. It won Best Film at the Spirit Awards. Uh, and Aquafina, uh, Aquafina didn't win a award that night, but she won the Golden Globe. Golden Globe and the Gotham earlier. And then myself, I, it was very fortunate for me, me and my co-editor, Matt Friedman, we were nominated for uh, Best Editing of a Comedy 
at the Ace Eddie Awards. Uh, first time I've ever had any kind of nomination uh, on that level. And uh, we lost to uh, Jojo Rabbit, but uh, we were nominated and it was exciting to be able to go to the uh, Eddie Awards um, in Hollywood. They're at, they were at the Beverly Hilton. I've been a few times before, but never nominated. So that was, that was very exciting for me. And, uh, and then Ace uh, invited me to join the uh, American Cinema Editors. Mm-hmm. So actually, when Nine Days comes out, it will be the first film I've worked on uh, where after my editing credit will be the little ACE. Oh, right. It's nice. It sort of puts me you know, uh, more in the realm of all these editors I've admired over the years. And also, so maybe there are some filmmakers who might take your name into deeper consideration. Uh, I, have to hope so. I have to hope so. You never know. I mean, ultimately, it's about finding the right match between a director. Well, of course, right. But, once, but, but when filmmakers listen to these, you know, podcast episodes, I think they will... Realize they will, they will that, realize that you're the guy for the job. I hope you're right, Adam. Um, I mean, the they can that, see your films, but really, what does that show? You know, it doesn't show much. No, it's really the letters. And uh, the other thing that happened this year was kind of exciting. It happened for a bunch of us on the farewell, but it also happened uh, for my good friend Lou Ford, who cut The Witch and The Lighthouse, and used to be my assistant. Started out as an, my intern years ago at HBO, but uh, Lou Ford and myself and Jen Lame, uh, who I also started out with on, on many levels, and this year cut Tenet. Uh, Jen and Lou and a bunch of us uh, I, uh, got uh, invited to join the Academy of Motion Pictures and Arts and Sciences, AMPAS. And that's very exciting because now we uh, are part of a, a big community and can hopefully work towards change, uh, work towards further diversification of our industry and progressive causes within movie making. Uh, it's, it's up to the membership and uh, I'm very happy to be part of that now. But, but I mean, uh, what's, what's sort of strange, Adam, it's like I say, like for me, I've had this, uh, it feels like a period of personal growth because I'm able to reflect on everything. Uh, and then I'm having these professional associations that I'm uh, joining and pass and ACE and uh, my colleagues. And, and that's also increasing all the Zooms that I'm doing because every organization has different uh, things happening. Um, there, there are even these like BAFTA Friday lunches and just it's a great chance to see all these people. Uh, Unbelievable networking uh, opportunities, I have to imagine. Well, it you know a lot this of times uh, you know you're if if you're hearing someone talk, it's really more like going. Okay. You're in the audience, but you're right. right. There's a chance to to say hello to someone, and okay. and, uh, and actually, I did. A, I I've been doing a lot of events uh, myself about editing. I I did one for the union. Well, where I spoke about different versions of the farewell that I had worked on, and uh, that that was that was a lot of fun to do. We did that back in the end of June. Well, if you do uh, any events on you know where I can I can come in as an audience, let me know. Yeah, I will. I'll let you know. It's uh, know. I I spoke. In fact, I recently spoke in front of a USC class on editing. Again, I say I was at the class, but you know they they weren't even all in LA. All the class members were all spread out over the country. It was. It was about as virtual as you're going to be. The teacher was in LA, other people. And then I've had some follow-up sessions with some yeah. of the 
people. Well, one I, of the I like big... to do a lot of mentoring. I love mentoring, and and now I have time for it. You know, yeah, right in a in a more nuanced way, in a more. Uh, I just did fil- finished a big project for Filmmaker Magazine, where they do an annual film school edition. Well, this year, of course, was turned it up on its ear yeah. because, uh, you know, there was this whole COVID-19 yeah, issue dang. about their fall season. So it was this enormous, turned into this bear of a job because uh, I was originally just supposed to update all the people, all the schools from last year, all the programs and film schools from last year, make sure it's accurate. Yeah. But, it, they, yeah. but, but nobody was at their campuses. Right. Then um, asking them for COVID-19 plan, which were there, in many cases they were still formulating, it turned into right. this just, uh, so finally, and I, you know, I reached 90% of the schools mm-hmm. through sheer, you know, just contacting every faculty member I could find, using every connection I had, yeah. um, but it, it got done, so it's available now. And, yeah. Um, um, well, it's, uh, I don't know, it's not a great time to go to a film school. No. No, and you know, I mean, it's not honestly. It's not a great time to go to school. Period of any sort, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, take uh, your, take that. What is it called? That uh, year off. That. Uh, yeah, uh, that I've been. I my feeling. Of course, I'm not a parent, and I've had a couple of parents criticize me, saying, uh, "Well, you you know, you're not a parent. It's not for you." You don't get an opinion. But the canceled. I've got an opinion because if if school kids, kindergarten through high school or college. Uh, continue to spread the disease just like it's happening right now in the South and the West among people who aren't at school campuses, eventually that's going to hit my mother up in Connecticut, who's 89 and is still doing great, but, or it's going to hit me or my wife or hit a friend of ours, but it just, it's not going to stay in the school. It's not going to stay in the college campus. And then, so so New York city, which is like the only major city, which is, now doing this hybrid plan so uh, yes but every day more and more teacher organizations say no and you can't really have teaching without the teachers uh, and i stand with the teachers uh i don't think there's going to be any in-person teaching well we're any, just weeks anywhere. away we're just a few uh, weeks away from the beginning it's not going to happen uh let's catch up again in a month it's not yeah, yeah. Well, well my, um, my 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 son who's going into his junior year of high school, we, you know, his half in high school already. Oh my god. Almost done. Halfway through, rather. Yeah. So he's uh we but we I he and his mother, he's in Los Angeles with his mother yeah. right now, and yeah. we've already decided we're opting out. So he's gonna stay well, in LA. It's a smart thing, Adam, and I wish more people did what you're doing because you know, it, this is just like what was happening in April with Trump saying the churches have to open and then later on saying the gyms and the hair salons have to open. It's exactly the same, except right. it's schools. So uh, anyone who opens, who tries to open schools at this point, on a year, like I've received two letters already from the University of Michigan where I went to college. I remember I saw your posting. About well, you, and in both, in one case, it was asking for a financial donation to help them open. And the other case, it was asking for some other thing. And in both cases, I said, why are you even reopening? It doesn't make any sense. It's just going to harm people. Uh, and my feeling is obviously that the people who would be going to college this year, whether it's their freshman year or they're in the middle of college, 
Uh, I do think they should take a gap year. If they're wealthy enough, they should do what wealthy kids have historically always done, which is travel. And yes, of course, it's much harder to travel than it used to be, but eventually some countries will let us back in. And if, you, and if you're not going to travel to Europe or to Africa or to Asia, you, you travel, travel somewhere in the United States. Even better, as people have pointed out, why not do some sort of youth core, job core kind of project where it doesn't cost you a cent and you go to the inner city and help build uh, low-income housing? or you know join habitat for humanity or there or, or join uh, one of the political campaigns whatever side you're on and work for who the next president is going to be i mean there's so many chances for uh, i'm going to call them kids because they're younger than me where they literally have a chance to actually get real world experience and and not get sick or not spread this disease to older people and uh, then they can come back to college you know, in 12 months or in six months, depending on what's going on. And I think we're going to find that school after school after school after school that does try to open is going to close. Uh, it, the next four weeks are going to be, it, I've already read various superintendents where they've closed. They said, we had no idea it was going to be like this. I don't know where they've been all year long. I no. just read in the New York Times, they just tested school children. 100,000 American school children already have the virus at this moment. Didn't ha not that they had the virus. They have the virus. 100,000. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of kids. Uh, you, know, and we, you know, we have a, a government that's so dysfunctional. I mean, it's a non-existent government, but when it, it does something, it's completely dysfunctional. And it's like, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have a number of governors who are doing good stuff. But listen, I should probably, I should probably close this down because I got to do some work. I am actually working today. Well, you know, I'm the host and I call the shots. I know you do. So we've got but, another uh, hour and a half uh, on my according to me. Well, let's do that. But, uh, no, no, I'm let's, kidding. We'll let's do, do a part two. We can we'll always do a part two. two. Let's yeah. do a part two. You know, two I love you weeks. and you're, I love you, here, love you. And uh, yeah. I, I would love to have, we can do this anytime. It's always good catching up. I do think that it provokes thoughts and, and you know, you, you, your perspective as an editor and coming from the specific and, and, and the growth in the and your career has been evolving. I like checking in because you see the, you know, the growth and how you're, well, right. your perspective uh, as a result. Yeah, of everything that. keeps changing. You know, the first right. time we talked, I was doing some of those Alex Calvo movies uh, and so forth. And, and I was doing different projects last summer when you ran right. into me. And uh, I would, I'd love to do, let's, let's make a sort of, uh, let's pencil in mid-September. Let's catch up in 30 days, Adam. All right. Let's see what's happening with the school system at that point. I'm curious. Uh, and uh, let's see if we get any news on the movie industry. Maybe we'll have some release dates. Sounds good. That would be exciting. Not that we want to turn this into like a screen talk or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> Well, they do pretty well. They do, they do well enough on their own. But, uh, but uh, the big, uh, okay, after we say goodbye, yeah. stay on for a few seconds. I will. I'm I still to, here. I do want to tell I'm, you something that I let's can't say, let's I have say a possible announcement coming we'll, up. We'll say goodbye. I still think okay. you're going to have to edit this down to about 10 minutes. I'll edit it. Goodbye, Adam. It's been wonderful Thank seeing you. and talking to you. Oh, you know, I wanted to say one thing before, Sian, is that on so many projects, 
we on these movies we have conference calls with Los Angeles all the time, and there's ten people talking, and you can never hear who's saying what. You don't even know whose voice it is. Uh, we're not going to have those anymore, even after this virus is over. We're always it will always be Zooms from now on, I think. And it's actually so one. I it's so much easier to talk to ten people if you can actually see them. Yeah. Well, we can put this on the conversation. Uh, agenda for the next conversation but yeah. my point is all that real estate in new york city yes that is going to be they're realizing why am i paying millions and millions a year tens of millions of dollars a year for office space when we i can see that to some degree we can operate at such a level without office space and when we do need it we can go to those companies that provide that for conference yeah. rooms and suites right. and stuff so the problem with right. New York is it's so dependent on real estate for its economy. Mm -hmm. now, I want to talk about that next time. And that, that's yeah. why I felt like the timing was right to leave New York because I feel like the economy of New York is in such a, uh, is so in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so, but we can talk no, about I that. Think, I think you have an excellent point. And now that there's been a, a, temp, a, a cessation of so many people getting 600 bucks a week, uh, even though the Republicans thought that was so much money, we're going to have a lot of evictions. We're going to have a lot of landlords. And, you know, a lot of us are not always necessarily sympathetic to landlords, but these are the people who own the buildings, obviously, and sometimes have invested their life savings in a building. And suddenly their tenants are not paying the rent anymore because they don't have any money to pay. If they have no job, you know, something like 30 million Americans are unemployed right now. And at least according to Paul Krugman from the New York Times, there's only five million jobs available if there are. So even, you, you know, even, you know, there's the Republican view, of course, is if we keep handing people money, it's a disincentive to work. But if there are, there are no jobs. There've already been, there've already been studies. I don't know the degree of. So which, how, how I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we have this, this thing with Trump over the weekend is so crazy that, you know, I got notifications from the New York state unemployment, uh, you know, like uh, uh, we don't really know what's going on. So don't call us. And don't and, listen and to the president. They don't sort of, listen to the president. They subtly, that's, that's sort of what they said. He yeah. might have told you you were going to be getting 400 yeah. bucks yeah. more, but uh, that's not really. Right. Well, they, did, they wrote everything but awkward. So, but, you're, but, you're, but, 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 you know, you really, you're, you're, you're right, Adam, because, you know, I've lived through those periods in the 70s in New York where the city essentially went bankrupt and had to be rescued by, Felix Roten and all those people, and you know, Gerald Ford had that famous headline in New York Post too: "New York City right. dropped dead." Dropped dead. Uh, we, you know, I, in my own sort of myopic view of like wanting movie theaters to open, uh, you know, it it could be I could be ignoring the fact that the Titanic is what's really about to hit New York. Well, and it, yeah. we could have we could be having this colossal recession. Well, I thought you were referring. To, I th you were making a statement about. You know, cinema in more more general way. I wasn't well. That's true, them. but I think but, uh, but I think you're right. New York is in for very 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 hard times, and the only way New York will survive at the level that we're used to it being is with a huge amount of federal money, which at the moment the the current government does not want to give us. Uh, they don't even really want to give us the four hundred dollars a week. Although corporations but, uh, corporations. Are benefiting. Oh, they're doing fine. But listen, so we'll see. We're going we'll to have a we're going to have a new president uh, next year, and I think uh, in September. Okay. Uh, you heard it from me, and <laughs> uh, 
next September, and when I talk to you in four weeks from now, it, that, that is going to look like even more of a certainty. So, although, you know what? What can happen between now and the middle of September? It's been a crazy year, ups and down, up and down. So who knows? Anyway, I'm, uh, I don't know if the show is over yet, but um, do you still need to talk? Okay, if you want yeah, to let's just say goodbye. Show, right. Let's say goodbye. Let's say goodbye. Okay. Bye-bye, Adam. <laughs>